Well, good morning, once again. Uh, It being Commitment Sunday, uh, there first I'd like to just, I don't know, finish the housekeeping things and then maybe cast a little bit more of a a vision or give you a sense of of what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, First, as... um, as I've tried to make clear over the last several weeks, this isn't like, this isn't just about money. Um, this is about the, an opportunity to reflect on what the, the rest of this year or the, this whole year is, is going to look like for you in terms of prayer, uh, service, and that kind of thing. Um, this isn't just about money, but it does involve money. And we've also tried to explain uh, that this isn't a pledge drive. We're not looking to raise a certain amount of money like for the roof or something like that. Um, As it turns out, it's just really, really helpful as we plan out budget for a year to get a vague sense of how much people intend to give. Um, We've also made it clear that especially with the the pledging uh, part, um, that this information is in entirely private. Uh, I don't see it. Um, our, uh, basically, there's like one person in the congregation who will see this information. And my vague understanding is that it all goes into a box and then gets shuffled away into his garage. Uh, it's not like we're all putting it into a big balloon and sending it to China or something like that. Because <laughs> the U.S. is going to shoot it down anyway, and then everyone's going to know. Um, I mean, you can't not mention that. <laughs> I had to work it in somehow because it's so absurd. But anyway, um, this is, it's, it's an opportunity to reflect. And it's also a way to give us kind of a broad overview of what ministry might look like for the next year. But there's a certain kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say ick factor, but a, a certain kind of unease that can come about when we talk about money in the context of church. And realistically, it's because it's been abused and continues to be abused off and on in different ways. But when we talk about uh, the idea of giving, of really the discipline of generosity, it raises some questions, like what do we mean? And sometimes things are easier to talk about Uh, or defined by explaining what we don't mean. The opposite of generosity would be greed. I saw, it was either this week or last week, that a study had been done that indicated that uh, people who tended to be both greedy and wealthy were extremely dissatisfied with their lives and how much they have. To which my response was, you really needed to do a study for that? (laughs) Like, we've known about that for a really long time. It's like everywhere in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, you know, Jesus. Uh, But I think there's, I mean, it's, it's worth considering why. If you're extremely wealthy, but also extremely greedy, why will... You never be satisfied with how much you have. Uh, There's probably a few reasons. I've known some extremely wealthy people, um, and I've known a few of them who grew up 
very, very poor. Like, we're skipping meals because we don't have anything poor. And you get this sense that, that as they grew up and as they, they kind of I don't know, came into some wealth or worked extremely hard for, for what they have, that it was never quite enough and they would not only hoard and, and, and guard as all that they had, but they always needed more. And it had more to do with the fact that there was something that was extremely broken about the way they viewed their lives. Um, this, is, this is where greed becomes a result of like a, almost a trauma. But then there's also greed, I mean, the human heart can become greedy regardless of how you grew up, um, where we become greedy and we hoard and we refuse to give and be generous with what we have because we've told ourselves a certain thing about the universe in which we live. Now, uh, when the Bible opens, it Excuse me, with the first book, with Genesis, um, the, the, the lines are, are probably pretty familiar. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Then he creates light, and he sees that it's good, and then uh, he uh, creates an expanse, and he says that it is good, and God expands or, or creates a division in the waters, and land arises, and he says that it's good, and then he fills those respective realms. And each time he says that it is good, and that might lead to some questions. Well, what does he mean when he says good? Probably not morally good, but maybe functionally good. He establishes these things and they do as God had intended them. Now, there are many, many, many layers to that, and, and it is kind of one of my favorite few chapters in the Bible at some point in this next year, we are going to look at the early chapters of Genesis as we make our way into everybody's favorite book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. And that's not a joke. Um, and that will be at the pastor's Bible study between services. I'm still not sure when we're going to do it, but I need to start priming that pump. <laughs> but one of the things that we're going to discover is that when God creates the world and then calls it good, is that it is enough. It functions as God intended to create um, or, or to be enough for the crown of God's creation, which is human beings. Now, this might, if you're of that sort of personality like I am, raise some other questions. Well, what about the people who are starving, both here in Albuquerque and all throughout the world? To which I would say, you're absolutely right. That's not creation's fault. That represents a breakdown of God's intended order. But if, if uh, you find yourself afraid to be generous with what God has given you, or you find yourself having a tendency to hoard, even though you have more than enough, 
There's a sense in which uh, those who find themselves uh, leaning in that direction, which, by the way, is probably everybody to an extent, that we've told ourselves that God created a very limited and finite world. A world in which there is not enough. And that fear and that tendency towards self-preservation will inhibit generosity every time. But that is not the world that God created, but it is also not the story in which we live as followers of Jesus. Because we believe that, if, that, that God was so generous that he was willing to give his son for our sake. And that Jesus, when he hits the scene and goes around, and, and, and if you read it in just the right light, you can see he goes around and, and recreates and gives life to everything he touches. There's a certain kind of lavish generosity that he spreads. Uh, people will, will sometimes be hesitant to approach Jesus, where they don't want to take up as much time as they, as, 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 uh, they think that they deserve. I'm thinking of like the centurion who, who is like, no, 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 just say the word, I don't want to take up more of your time. And Jesus, of course, is happy to oblige. That if we who are, are baptized in Jesus, we believe that God is generous with everything and that we live in a world that is more than enough and that he calls us into this discipline of generosity, a life willing to give to those who need it, a life of wisdom, knowing how to give and where. But like I said, this isn't just about giving. Because there is a resource that is uh, more scarce than money. And that is time. Time is the scarcest resource that you have. And I don't know if this was your experience, but when you're young, you think you have all the time in the world. And then as I'm right at the top of that hill and will be shortly starting my downward descent as I turn 40 this year, um, and you'll start hearing my existential crisis from the pulpit, uh, <laughs> like today, you start to realize, oh no, that was all an illusion. Time is speeding up. Time is the only thing that we all spend at the same rate, even if we perceive it differently. Time is this, uh, I don't know, illusory gift that God has given us. The writer of Ecclesiastes excuse me, says that human life, really time, is like a vapor. It's poof, gone. 
And so one of those eerie and kind of scary existential questions that we will sometimes ask, especially as we are reflecting, and as I've learned as we get older, we reflect more on, is what are we going to do with the time that we have? Because there really isn't much. Yikes. As we have gone through the previous couple of weeks, we've highlighted a few examples of our ministries. In no way does it encompass everything that we do here at Christ Lutheran Church and School in Albuquerque. But hopefully you've gotten a sense that we think both of those are very important. We, have, we, we, we funnel resources towards like our mission, God Cares About You, over in the International District. But we do a bunch of other things like uh, uh, supporting financially our uh, uh, Ben Helgi, our missionary in, uh, in the Czech Republic, uh, the Matskis who work with Wycliffe Bible Translators in the Solomon Islands, which by the way, it's going to be closer to the end of March when they will be out here. So, you know, stay tuned. Because we think that, you know, God has given us these resources and so we want to share them and we want to use them wisely to support missions that are really going to impact the world around us for Jesus. Sometimes that means funneling resources to somebody who is working with pastors and lay people in the Czech Republic to further the spread of the gospel. Sometimes that means money that goes to the organ- an organization in the international district who's just offering food and clothing. Of course, those all involve time. Some of our other ministries like Stephen's ministry, which is a whole training thing. And, and, and honestly, like, it's pretty impressive what, what Stephen's ministry has put together where we, they will train us to learn to sit and listen well to somebody who desperately needs an ear. That takes time, a lot of time, actually. And so what we've set up here at Christ, well, we, I did not. I got here and it was already there. So what y'all have set up is a group of people willing to spend their precious time to serve others. And that's just one example. There are lots of people here and lots of official and unofficial ministries of this church and school where people just spend time serving others. And then last week, we talked about our school, education, which, by the way, is a giant black hole of time and money. Not in a bad way, because we think it's worth it, but man, it takes a lot of everything. Because we have this wild idea that we think that the next generation is worth investing in both in developing skills and and giving them the knowledge they need to succeed in a a world that always seems like it's getting crazier, Um, but also because we think raising a generation to know and love Jesus is the best way to impact the world around us.
And so we here as a community, as we now look at Commitment Sunday, where we have thought and prayed and reflected on what the next year of ministry is going to look like financially and in terms of time and in terms of resources and in terms of the talents that you may have, we've not done so out of compulsion, out of guilt, out of shame, but actually as a celebration of what it means to follow Jesus, to take the resources that God has given us and engage in the discipline of generosity with everything He has given us, both the resources and that precious little time that we have. And so my hope and prayer is that as we've gone through this, you've, you've taken a step back and said, wow, through us God has done a lot and I want in on that. Which makes Commitment Sunday a celebration rather than a ritual. Finally, if, if you noticed uh, during the gospel reading, Jesus is praying to the Father not just for his disciples, but for those who will come to faith in him through those disciples. In other words, he's praying for us, for all the generations of Jesus' followers that will come about as a result of this weird and honestly ragtag group of disciples that he's put together down through the millennia. And if you notice, he prays for unity. And I think it's because Jesus knows very, very well that when you have a group of people who are unified by a common and powerful story, namely the story of redemption, a story of reconciliation, a story of resurrection, that there really aren't too many limits to what they will be able to do. And so at this time, we're going to bring out our liturgical box with the words Commitment Sunday written on it. Um, obviously, there's nothing magic or special about the box. It's just a box. But I'm going to invite you forward to place your commitment cards or your commitment sheets in there um, and like I said, this is a celebration. This is not a compulsion. This is not a judge like, okay, now I guess I owe the church this amount of money and this number of hours a week or a month or anything like that. It's not like that. This is a moment to say, God is doing something here and I want in on that. I want to be a part of that. Let's see what God does now. Amen.